Hello, everyone. Welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. I am Simone de Rochefort, and this week I am not going to make it weird. I'm joined by Brianna Wu, Head of Development at Giant Space Cat, my darling, and Christina Warren, Senior Tech Correspondent at Mashable. My queen, how are you doing, ladies, tonight? I made it weird. You've made it, God, you've made it, made it weird. weird. You've, you've made it weird, but but I like it. <laughs> what are we like going to do with me? We cannot go into the show without at least acknowledging the Bieber peen. God, you said we weren't going to talk about it. No, we have to. We have to. Look, this is this is breaking news, you guys. This is breaking news. Come on, yeah. We we are a show about accelerated geek conversation, and look, (laughs) let's just say that 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 it also includes accelerated peen conversation, and I'm just going to leave it at that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm dying. Weirdest rocket <laughs> ever. <laughs> ever. I feel like we could make the make the connection there. So we've seen some things that we hadn't seen before, and I think we can expect that possibly maybe vibrator technology will catch up with what we have seen. <laughs> oh my god. <sighs> so you know, this is your fault. I wasn't gonna talk about it. You brought it up. I was just going to say, like, I was going to report it like NPR, Simone, like, you know, I just wanted to let you know that today on Twitter, like, pictures of Justin Bieber without wearing any clothes have uh, been widespread today. And here we're going to take a senior tech correspondent at Mashable, Christina Warren. Christina, what did you see? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Um, Yeah, I mean, I, I, I saw I saw a lot. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, it was all over the internet, all over Twitter, all over, over Instagram, all over Facebook. How are and, you doing um, down there thank- on the ground where where the news was broken? <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I mean, look, honestly, at a place like Mashable where this is kind of like, I mean, how we handle this is, I'm, I'm not even sure how we've covered it, but it's like certainly like at a, a kind of a viral news place. It's certainly one of those things where, I mean, you know, the, I mean, it's it's one of those like immediately everyone in Slack is talking about it. And uh I uh, I definitely participated in that conversation and, and may have helped lead that conversation for certain people. That's fine. That's 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 really you know. So before before I made the show weird, uh, I thought we were going to talk about some tech news, Simone. Oh wait, tech news is that tech what the news. is that what the show is about? Okay, I'm willing to change so, the topic of the show. But, yeah, you know, I mean honestly, we, look, I mean I'm willing to change the description. I'm just saying, like I'm willing to change the whole thing. I mean, if we wanted to do it, I'm just saying, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I I would hate to go off topic from the breaking celebrity nudes that we discuss every week, but there was <laughs> another event this week uh, where a company called Microsoft announced what? this thing or a lot of things a bunch i of guess stuff. but <laughs> okay <laughs> starting over from that microsoft had their big event this week and one of the things they announced was the surface book which is the i think the breakout star of the whole microsoft event yeah uh they created yeah. this laptop that they're throwing directly well, then the fedora guy fedora guy Oh so, okay, my there was a guy God. who was, wore a hat during awesome. the presentation. Yeah, he was amazing. Okay, b- before like, we talk about the products, thank you for bringing hipster cred. Yeah, <laughs> yes, I, I I dubbed him Hat Guy, um, and it was trending on Twitter at one point. Okay, so just for some background, before we get into the products, which are important, Microsoft absolutely killed the presentation. Yeah, they it was probably one of the best Microsoft events I've ever seen. Um, uh, Panos Panay, who is their uh, you know head of um of, of, of devices, um, is a really really good presenter, and he was fantastic. But they brought this guy Brian out who. I think he's who to, to show off um, some some demos. And this dude had a fedora that he was rocking, had a great personality. Turns out he's a former um, cruise lounge singer. Oh my god! 
Wow. Like he like used to like be like a like a lounge singer on a cruise ship and just has the most winning personality and he kicked so much butt. Like he was amazing. Has he His saved was fantastic. fedoras from their bad reputation? Like is that I mean, what we can I think, look forward to? Yeah, honestly, I think you kind of can. I mean, he made fedoras like winning and cool and he was winning and cool and the whole thing just it, it was anyway i i was super impressed i mean I, I was in the room when it happened but even on the internet everybody was like freaking out about the the guy <laughs> in the hat and in the room i was like oh my god i can't believe this is happening this is so nice i i am impressed and surprised and my my stupid brain all it can think right now is when are we going to have his nude leak because obviously that's what this <laughs> podcast is about off color humor from Simone de Rochefort. Um, Made it weird. Fire me. Made it very weird. Just very weird. Very throw weird. me, throw me into Deception Pass. Um. So as long as we're talking about like the the presentations, like okay, this is I know I shouldn't be doing this to another woman in tech because all too often you know like we're we're talked about like with our looks and not our skill, but the woman that was up there from Microsoft for like oh what was she talking about like she had these gorgeous glasses and she's just do you ever like it's like Anne Hathaway is on screen and you're like. I just want to be best friends with Anne Hathaway. Right. You know, was that, she was that same way. I'm like, oh, she just, she killed it. I was no, very they had, impressed with that. Yeah. No, everybody, every present, every, every presenter they had was really good. She was yeah. great. Mm-hmm. Like I said, uh, Panos was just uh, really, really good. Um, Brian Guy was really good. Uh, obviously, Terry Meyerson is always good. Like, they just, they, they nailed it. They absolutely nailed it. And it was one of those events that, you know, kind of going into it, I I wasn't really that excited if I'm being completely brutally honest. Right. And I walked out and and I, I think a lot of the, the, the press corps felt the same way where we kind of went in kind of like expecting like meh and we walked out totally jazzed, totally excited about the products. And part of that was because as we'll get into, the products were really interesting, especially the Surface yeah. Book. But, but they managed to present them in a really compelling way, which is something that obviously Apple is great at, uh, Google is not good at, and Microsoft <laughs> is usually not good at. And so... Seeing them in outside of the gaming uh, space where they usually do a good job, you know, at E3 and at those presentations, they usually nail that. But they usually don't nail the consumer stuff, especially devices like this. And um, it, it it was, I mean, it was, a, it was a, I, I can't stress it enough. It was a really solid presentation. It was a Rockstar event. And the Rockstar device of the Rockstar event was the Surface Book, like I said. And Lance Yunloff uh, at Mashable wrote this amazing, really like narrative write-up of it where he really seemed enthused about what it does. And what it does is basically folds up like a book both ways because yep. of this new hinge that they've invented. So it can become a tablet. It can also detach from its base. And the, the words he used to describe it were radical and like wrecking ball of an announcement. Oh. Um, so I, I definitely, Brianna, you're making noises and i'm curious to hear what you think of it in a moment but um let's i want to talk a little bit about what their their goal was with making the surface book and putting it directly in competition with the macbook pro and also trying to make a laptop that becomes a tablet or trying to make a notebook that is cohesive and doesn't make any design sacrifices despite the fact that it can detach and fold up and stuff like that so this seems like a really bizarre ridiculous engineering challenge to surmount and one of the ways that they did that was by splitting up the processing power between the top and the bottom and also the battery as well so if i'm understanding correctly the top half has something like four hours of battery life but then together it has the full 12 hours of battery life yeah it's it seems like it should not work but 
all everything that I was reading about it on The Verge and Mashable, et cetera, was very, very enthusiastic about it. Uh, so, Brianna, how do you feel? <laughs> well, I have to push back on like the hinge being completely revolutionary. Like they have, they've, they've, we've been experimenting with that form factor for quite a while in quite a few different devices. But yeah, this is where I'm really interested to see what the reviews end up being because this kind of approach, like splitting up battery and processor into two different halves of it, let's just be blunt. And Christina, you're going to back me up on this. Like this is what you'd expect Microsoft to bundle to bungle, right? Like this is like, it's a great presentation and you kind of expect to get the product and for it not to really work. Um, that said, like it, it, the, it's so rare to look at a Microsoft uh, hardware device and say, Oh my God, that is sexy as hell. Like I want to mm -hmm. go buy that. And on top yep. of that, I have to say this. So look, I talked a lot of smack about Microsoft and windows eight about their no compromises thing. But I have to say, if this product works in kind of designing this um, you know, new paradigm for the operating system to work with both touch and with you know a mouse or a trackpad, you know, this is this is really the promise of Windows 8 coming to fruition if mm -hmm. it works. And I'm not gonna believe yes. it works yeah. until I see it reviewed and then I see long-term reviews from it later. But it it certainly looks impressive. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I mean, I think what what's, um, I mean, obviously, we'll need to wait to, for, for the reviews and, and, and Lance uh, will be reviewing ours. And, um, you know, I just got a little bit of hands on time with it. So I really just can offer like very brief impressions. I can't really offer, you know, any any insights into what actual performance will be like. But I will say, you know, if you look at what they did with the Surface Pro 3. That was their attempt of saying, you know, before we used to try to we, we were trying to compete with the iPad. Um as a tablet and, and them basically saying, look, we know we can't compete with the iPad as a consumer tablet, so we're going to compete with the MacBook Air as a consumer notebook and also have this tablet functionality for the use cases when that works out. And that's been a really successful product for them. They've sold a lot of Surface Pro 3s. And what they're doing with the, the Surface Book, you know, the goal is basically kind of the exact same approach, but with the MacBook Pro So as the target. So basically saying, look, we want to be the most powerful laptop you can have, the most powerful notebook you can have, but we also will support pin input, which is something that Microsoft has gotten really good at. We will support the touch stuff that's part of Windows 10. And even though this isn't something that you'd want to use as a consumer tablet, this is something that you could use in your professional, um, you know, uh, kind of life, um, especially if you're, you know, doing um, design-oriented tasks or if you're, you know, doing, you know, they, they showed off one of the demos was showing off, you know, music um, writing and, and, and you know, people basically being able to, to write in notes um, and then also, you know, use... Um, the typical touch and, and, and other tools to, to sequence tracks and so in, in editing tools and, and obviously, you know, potentially even, you know, uh, 3D development or, you know, things like AutoCAD. So yeah. I think that the, the potential of what they're trying to do, I think this is kind of taking their goals and I think they largely succeeded at with the Surface Pro 3, um, but then taking it to the next level and saying this isn't just good for an Ultrabook, this is now your high-end laptop. Um, and, and it's all going to come down to execution. How well does it work? But I feel like if they – I think they have a winner putting aside um, – I don't think it matters necessarily how well the pen stuff works. I don't think it matters how well the touch stuff works. I mean that's important that, that that's going to you know be important for a certain stretch of people. But I think the bigger thing is the fact that they're building this first and foremost, it feels like, as a high-end laptop, a high-end Windows laptop. Mm -hmm. And that's something that frankly – the industry hasn't had. I mean, the, it, the the running joke for years has been, 
the best Windows laptop you can buy is a MacBook Pro. Yeah. And 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 that and and that's because, you know, Lenovo and and um, you know, HP and uh Dell have basically kind of sat on their hands and they've released some high-end stuff, but there've been compromises and they haven't had the margins or frankly sold on the quantities to make it worthwhile. And so when you look actually market share-wise, even though obviously Windows sells far more, you know, than, than OS 10 does, if you look at like the over $1300 laptop market, so you look at the high end, the the higher tier of the laptop market. Apple has something like ninety percent market share mm-hmm. in that category because basically, if you're going to spend that much money on a notebook, you're almost assuredly going to get a MacBook Pro. Not because OS ten is what those people want to use, although plenty of them do, I'm sure, but because that's simply the best device you can get, and there isn't anything that runs Windows that can compete with it. So I feel like with the Surface Book, what they have an opportunity to do is what their OEMs refuse to do, which is to make something that can actually compete make with like premium, super awesome. Exactly. Products. Like I, I've told, I think I've told the story before on Rocket, but you know, because OpenGL has such a huge performance penalty, which you know OS ten is trying to you know bring metal into the equation to obviate. I've looked at Windows laptops a ton because I will go pay two, three, four thousand dollars for whatever really top end machine is. And yeah, Razer looks pretty solid, but you know, seeing this kind of first party solution from from Microsoft, like I'm watching the thing today, and I'm like. I really, really, really kind of want to buy this. You know, I can right. use my pen to do Illustrator. I can do, you know, Unreal work natively. I mean, it's a really, really appealing setup if mm-hmm. it works. And I just, I there, there's so much awesome news to come out of this conference. But yeah. I just, I love what I'm seeing from Microsoft here. What I, I struck love me it. Yeah. Uh, a lot of, about when uh, Panos was talking about it with Lance was the, they were talking about the detail that they put into every aspect of it. And that yes. reminded me a lot of when we talk about Apple and how everything is very, very intentionally designed to be pleasing. And it seems like with this device, they put as as much attention into the details that users might not even make conscious note of, but like the, the sheen of the metal, the way that it folds up together. So it is, it's really heartening to me and makes me, makes me really excited that they're thinking about these tiny, tiny, tiny details that I think will hopefully make a, an interesting cohesive product. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that if you look at what Microsoft has done on its hardware end since they've started mm-hmm. to make their own devices, you know, the, the Surface RT stuff aside, and I think like the Surface, you know, 3 aside, so kind of their low-end things, they've made really good hardware. The problem has kind of been how they position it and and obviously some of the other stuff. But I feel like, you know, the Surface Pro 3 was a great device. Um, obviously, the, the phones they made with Nokia have been have been good, you know, b- before they bought them. The Xbox, you know, uh, the, the, the 360 ring of death notwithstanding, you know, they have some <laughs> Solid hardware and design chops with that stuff. Yeah. You know, they they know what they're doing. You know, if you look at the Xbox controller, you know, it's it's the standard for a reason. You know, they they employ people who mm-hmm. are really good at what they do. And so I agree with you, Simone. I feel like this has the opportunity to really kind of shine. And it's great to see someone on the Windows side pushing this because mm-hmm. it's it's sad that basically for the last ten years since OS ten has been um, uh, since since OS ten has run on Intel, it's sad that the best Windows machine you could buy. Or the best Windows notebook you could buy was a Mac. That's messed up. Frankly. Yeah, keep like, it that's, competitive. That's, keep it yeah, interesting. Not, keep that, that, challenging. And, and, and I think part of it is because, you know, they didn't want to piss off their OEMs. They didn't want to piss mm-hmm. off their partners. And I think it's gotten to a certain point where that business is starting to die and and they're not making as much money as they used to, and their partners are struggling as well, where they're able to kind of say, look, we've only got a small window of time to still remain kind of relevant in this space. And if we don't 
you know, make this stuff in-house, the rest of the people aren't going to lead the way. And and that's like from past conversations I've had, and certainly this was reflected, I think, in, in Lance's piece where, you know, he talked to them about this and they didn't want to, you know, step on the toes of the OEMs and didn't want to criticize them. But at the same time, you kind of get the sense that they're saying, well, we're doing this because if you're not going to we're not going to sit back and we hope that you maybe will take our lead mm-hmm. and, and we'll innovate from there. And, and we've actually seen some signs of that. You know, Lenovo released something at, uh, at IFA that's basically a direct clone of the Service Pro 3. Um, I mean, it's nearly identical. And so mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think that it would maybe move the needle in any demonstrable way, but it would be interesting to see if, uh, you know, at some point you see Dell releasing something that looks similar, you know, to the Surface Book, um, if, if for no other reason than this is kind of giving them a kick in the pants to say, actually, it is possible to make a really high-end, um, you know, low-compromise or no-compromise uh, Windows notebook. Well, also prove that consumers will pay for it. You yes. Know, that's the other thing. Chrissy, I do have, I do have three questions for you since sure. you've actually used the hardware. So, other other um, you know, Windows uh, laptops have tried this form factor, have very, very famously had hinges that break, like when you're trying yes. to flip it around and do all <laughs> that. So something I thought was really interesting with this is if you pick it up, they've clearly taken like a, a page from the lightning connector, which, you know, has the contact on both sides of it. So you can yep. pick it up and reverse it and then do that, which... You know, structurally, that's going to be a lot more powerful than you know trying to you know rotate it around this axis with like a rotating set of wires right. in the middle of it. So, I guess my question to you is, how does that latch feel? Does it feel solid? Does the hinge feel like it could really hold the laptop up? Yes. What is your? Does it feel quality? Yeah. It t- it felt completely quality. I mean, in fact, what was kind of amazing about the presentation and kind of the biggest reveal that they did was that when they were showing it off we got the sense that this was not going to be detachable, that it had the touchscreen because Windows, you know, has touch support and that's a big part of what they did. But you kind of got the sense that they were saying, okay, we've got this really high-end keyboard, this metal finish, all this stuff, and and it's not going to detach. And that's kind of going to be the differentiating feature. And when they pulled it apart... The audience gasped. Yeah. And I think I even <laughs> tweeted, I was like, oh my God, and the keyboard comes apart. But because when you hold it, when you're looking at it, it doesn't feel, it feels like one solid piece. It doesn't feel like two pieces. It doesn't oh. feel like the yoga. It doesn't feel like the other things. It feels really solid. Um, and it doesn't feel like the, the the Surface Pro 3 or the Surface Pro 4, where it's very clear that you've got this magnetic, you know, smart cover or a type cover attached. Like it's, it's, it's a different, um, you know, kind of situation. I mean, it felt like a laptop, which mm-hmm. is, I think, perfect because that's how it should feel. It, it didn't, I didn't, I, I wasn't concerned, you know, my time with it. I, I felt like obviously we'd have to put it under real review circumstances and tests, but I didn't feel like it would be one of those things that there'd be a risk of it. Well, you can tell if something has like flexing or creaking or feels flimsy. No, it felt really, it. no, so, it felt, it felt yeah. really quality. Like my current laptop, for example, which <laughs> is coming apart at the hinge. No, no it, 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 the, the hinge felt really solid. I was really impressed with that because I was, that was one of the things I was looking at. I was like, how is this going to feel? And it also, I thought that it got the weight distribution right, you know, oh, by, yeah, by really and, I, and, and I think that that's part of the importance of having the battery also distributed into the, the, the you know, bottom section as well. Um, is that by doing that, you know, it feels like a complete unit. It's not one of those things where you feel like, you know, because a lot of times what happens with these convertible notebooks is that the top um, where the screen is ends up being heavier than the bottom mm-hmm. because they've got they've, they're putting all of the guts, you know, in the top. So you end up it ends up being the reverse of a traditional laptop where it's heavier mm-hmm. on the bottom than it is on the top. Right. Um, this felt a lot more dispersed, um, a lot more evenly dispersed. 
This episode of Rocket is brought to you by Braintree, code for easy online payments. If you are a mobile app developer, check out Braintree. Braintree is the payment solution used by companies like Uber, Airbnb, Hotel Tonight, Living Social, and Munchery. Braintree has made the payment experience in these apps seamless and magical, and now you can add a similar experience in your own app. With excellent customer service and simple integration, Braintree gets you ready to receive payments quickly. Braintree's continuous support plus fast payouts means you'll be prepared as your company grows from your first dollar to your billionth. Braintree is also helping solve the problem of mobile cart abandonment by offering a best-in-class mobile checkout experience, and they make payment in some of your favorite apps seamless and magical. You can add similar experiences to your own app. Braintree gives you a full-stack payment solution, support for all payment types your customers might want, including PayPal, Apple Pay, Bitcoin, Venmo, cards, and more, all with a single integration. It is with you across all platforms with superior fraud protection and their fantastic customer service and fast payouts. To learn more and for your first $50,000 in transactions fee-free, go to braintreepayments.com rocket. Thank you so much, Braintree, for sponsoring this episode of Rocket on Relay FM. Let's get to Brianna's. Yeah, seriously. They're awesome. So you, I love $50,000. It's a number that I'd like to see in my own wallet. The big thing that I found Microsoft has never, never, never gotten right is trackpads, right? Yes, like, you know you're so quality, right. You're so right. You know God, the quality yeah. of one when you use it on Mac. And I thought like the 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 Google, you know, uh, Pixel Chrome. Yes. Uh, when I played with that, like it seems like mm-hmm. it's it's very comparable. But I've never yes. used a Microsoft trackpad that felt like it cost more than $4. So like, I mean, how is that? And also like the, the pen attachment on the side is so easy for me to imagine that getting torn off or, or ripped off. Like how does that attach? Mm -hmm. Is it magnets? Like how is that working? Yeah. It's magnets. So in the past, how it worked on the surface pro three was there was kind of this weird, like loop thing that you would have to kind of have it attached to. And it was kind of a pain on both the surface pro four and the, the surface book. Um, it it attaches through magnets. And so it just kind of attached just to the to the top or the side and that works really well. I mean, that's kind of the perfect way to do it and and that's something that they definitely were getting feedback from their users about saying, you know, they even made a comment during the keynote saying when we see people with like the, you know, the pen loops they kind of cringe, you know, because they understand mm-hmm. having those little holders there, that's kind of a terrible solution to this thing. So having it attached Absolutely. through magnets is it really totally smart. And, I mean, like and, the... and let's be clear, this is something that Apple yeah. didn't really solve with the, the, the iPad Pro. Um, it, uh, I mean, it, it charges uh, from from the bottom of, of the iPad, which is great through Lightning, but it, uh, you know, doesn't magnetically connect to the top or the side. And as as best we can tell, you know, the type cover doesn't, uh, or whatever Apple is calling their their cover, uh, doesn't actually um, have a, a place to store that pen. So it, it, it attaches through magnets, which is cool. Um, when it comes to the trackpad, you know, I. I got like two seconds with it on the Surface Book. It felt good. But I will say I spent more time with the the Surface Pro 4, which has a new type cover keyboard, which um, the keys are sp- uh, spread out more chiclet style. So they're, they're a lot more similar to Ooh. a traditional keyboard, whereas the current keyboard, they're all close together. So it feels more like a regular keyboard. The travel, I would say, is probably comparable to the new MacBook. So if you like the, the typing experience on the new MacBook, you won't mind it on the, the, the Surface Pro 4 keyboard. That keyboard also actually works with the Surface Pro 3. But 
they've made the trackpad 40% larger and it is glass and that makes a huge difference. Um, so they're both of them, you know, have glass trackpads and that's honestly, I think, uh, the, the, the Chrome pixel, um, Chromebook Pixel also had a glass trackpad, and obviously that's what Apple's been using for a while. And I think that honestly makes a big difference use case-wise. Um, I don't know when it comes to software, you know, how much you can kind of adjust and, and deny those things. Because I found with Windows in general, I'm with you, Brie, I've never had a good experience with like a Windows trackpad. Like, you know, Apple rules in that area. Um, I, the, the Chromebook Pixel is pretty good. Um, I, I, I don't know if, I, you know, if it's as good as Apple's, but it certainly is a big step up from anything they've done before. Hmm. So that's, they're at least on the right, on the right track. I'll, I'll put it that way. Mm-hmm. So my, my question actually, unless you had a third one, Brianna. No, no, no. That's All right. it. The pen, the trackpad. I guess uh, my question is like, I guess I got to save $2,700 for the i <laughs> Well, you got to wait for the reviews is what you got to yeah, do. I should. It's worth saying like Microsoft Gem 1 products, like Apple Gem 1 products aren't the best and Microsoft Gem 1 products are really not the best. Well, they were so, saying that they've tried to make yeah. it so that this is more like a Gen 2 and that Gen 1 was in the, the workshop, but I will uh, <laughs> launch. We'll see. see. I'll believe it when I see it. My question was kind of, we were talking about other OEMs making high-end Microsoft laptops, uh, Windows laptops. And my question is kind of, do you think that this event made enough of a splash that that is going to happen in a quick time frame? Or are we going to, is that going to take a longer time Mm. to kind of come to the market? Well, I mean, it, it well, it depends on whether or not they think there's a market there yeah. to come after. So, I mean, that's a couple of things, right? Um, you know, Apple, uh, by virtue of being the smallest, you know, they're they're uh, in terms of at this point shipping computers, they're actually one of the bigger uh, in the top five now. But historically, you know, they obviously ship a lot fewer uh, laptops than say HP or Lenovo or Dell, um, at, at least historically. Um, they have an advantage of coming in with, you know, a, a very high starting price point, you know, like nine ninety nine mm-hmm. or, or maybe it's eight ninety nine for the MacBook Air. Whereas, you know, most PC OEMs are, you know, starting in the, the two ninety nine, three ninety nine um range. So it's a couple of things. I think they have to look and see what is our potential market size for a, you know, $1,500 plus laptop, which is which is what the, the Surface uh, mm-hmm. book starts at $1,499. So how many people do we think will actually be willing to look at a laptop that has a base price of $1,500? How many... Um, how much is it going to cost for us to design it? How much is it going to cost, you know, for us to uh, get, you know, the um, all the, the logistics in, involved in making it together? And can we ship it and be competitive with other things? And what are our margins on this? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it frankly, it's in in a in a world where laptop sales are continuing to decline quarter over quarter. Um, I don't know if I were. It would be a hard. It would be a hard decision to justify. I think if you were a Dell or a Lenovo to say, yes, we want to take on this premium space in a you know demonstrably different way than we have before because Microsoft is coming in here. In, on the contrary, you might actually say, do we really want to compete? If Microsoft is doing this, screw them, let them do it. Um, <laughs> they can have that and, and we'll continue making what we make. That's actually sort of what happened early on with the Surface. When the first Surface was announced, announced back in 2012, um, Microsoft, you know, their their goal, it was the first time they were getting into the hardware space and kind of going head to head with their OEMs. Their goal, because uh, it came out and it coincided with, with Windows um, uh, 8, their goal was to get other OEMs to make similar devices. They said, oh, we kind of want this to be a reference and kind of be the guiding light. That didn't go over so well with a lot of their, um, you know, OEMs. Some of them, in- including, you know, I think it was Acer, 
were very much kind of against that and saying they're coming after us and 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 we're just not going to make Surface RT uh, devices. We're not going to make Windows RT devices <laughs> oh, no, at all. And they did. What a tragedy! What well, a tragedy. It, well, I mean, look, honestly, look, it was good for everybody that they didn't. But the fact of the matter is, is merely by Microsoft being involved in that space and making Windows RT sure. um, devices. Um, the, the other OEMs wouldn't even join in, and so that kind no, of helped no, I mean, uh, it really agree that it was going to be dead. Run. It did. Um, oh, it totally I, did. I, Acer I or Microsoft? Think... Microsoft. Yeah, because yeah, it, mean... it, it ensured that nobody was going to actually ship anything except for these Microsoft units running this operating system. And so, um, I think that on the high end, obviously, you know, they have to kind of balance the risks. I mean, I think Microsoft is obviously taking this risk and saying we know what the market is for these things. It's mostly you know certain Dell models, certain HP models. Lenovo has some some high end ThinkPads and things like that. But we can make this kind of quality product that's going to be different than say like an enterprise class machine. This will actually be like a professional machine, which is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, and but but I think it'll depend on the success of the service book uh, because we we did see that it took about ten months to see the success of the Surface Pro 3 for uh, Lenovo to kind of start aping them completely. And so, I mean, you know, maybe, maybe give it six months. Maybe at that point, if they feel like, okay, there's actually consumer interest in this, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised to see them take over. But just because of, of how expensive it is to kind of get involved in this space, especially when they have almost non-existent margins as it is, I wouldn't expect, you know, people to jump on the bandwagon automatically. Well, no. And, and you know, I think that's really well said. Like the OEM issue is certainly important for Surface. But I think, to me, what I really took from this, uh, from the press conference is, you know, very clearly, Windows' ultimate vision is Windows 10 everywhere. And you see it in them, you know, bringing Windows 10 over to Xbox One and, you know, talking about this entire ecosystem. And I've been thinking a lot about this this week because, you know, we got a ton of Google Android devices that we are working with at GSX right now. So, um, what I've done this week is I've really made my first uh, concerted effort to not just fiddle around with Android, to like really try to get involved in that ecosystem. And what it's it's really made me aware of is how much that lock-in with one device like really completely dominates all your purchasing decisions. Mm-hmm. Like for me, it started with a laptop, and now it's like none of my movies <laughs> can can like be watched on Android phones. So similarly, similarly with this. I think the piece that is really missing from the Microsoft ecosystem is that is that Retina MacBook, right? Like that yep. premium quality experience that gets you out there. Okay, great. Now I'm going to go buy an Xbox One and not a PlayStation. Mm-hmm. Okay, now I'm going to buy a Windows phone and not an iPhone. Because, by the way, can we just say that box you like plug your phone into and get to like use Windows 10 on and then do all your pages documents <laughs> like off a, or Word documents off a monitor? That looks sexy. Like that is a yeah. really, really cool idea. It's, it's a great idea. ecosystem that they're yes. working on. And it's, it's such a smart play because... This this event is the first time in my whole life I can like imagine like having Windows everywhere and just going yeah. all in on that ecosystem. You know, okay. no, t- totally. They definitely are taking a platform, uh, you know, centric approach. And like you said, they are kind of you know, and and, and Lance um, when when he spoke with them yesterday uh, for the the story that you guys uh, noted at the at the top of our, our podcast, um, where he talked to Panos for a long time. You know, he kind of came across. I think, you know, at least my my interpretation based on what he wrote was that, you know, Microsoft really has kind of figured out they need to 
vertically integrate both the hardware and the software. And that's obviously been Apple's play from the beginning. And, and that's increasingly been kind of Google. Google sort of does that too, um, at least with, with some of their Nexus programs. Um, the one area where it's a little bit different and where I think that they have some wiggle room is obviously, I think you're right, you know, this this fills in that MacBook Pro niche, which makes it like your, your kind of central computer now can be this nice high-end thing. They still... Um, are, are failing on mobile, and they're not going to win on mobile. They're going to lose no. on mobile. No, um, you know the, the, the new phones. Um, I don't even think are going to be coming to carriers in terms of subs- uh. subsidizing. You know, like they announced them for five forty nine, six forty nine. It's a cool. It's a cool demo. It's a cool thing to be able to say I can plug my phone into my um, you know um, monitor and have a you know wireless mouse and keyboard with it and have full. And have a full start menu and, and desktop and have a very desktop-like experience using my phone. That's a really cool demo. Let's be realistic. How many people are going to yeah. use that? Because to really make that useful, you would need to be in a, an environment where you automatically have all those things that can plug in to your phone. You know, you've got that dock. You've got the other stuff. And at that point, if you're going to have to carry all that around, why wouldn't you just carry around a Surface Book or a Surface Pro mm-hmm. 4 um, and, and, and use that, you know, as your main workstation? Um, and then also still, still get the full apps. It's great that, that you know, Facebook is going to be developing, you know, um, universal apps for, for, for Windows. So they'll, mm-hmm. they're going to be bringing Facebook, Instagram, and, and Messenger. But are those, are those going to have full parity with, with their iOS and Android counterparts? Who knows? Probably not. And, and you know, over the years, I've talked to more and more, you know, major developers who've you know, basically express no interest in, in developing for Microsoft and mobile just because the audience isn't there. No, that there's no said, reason to do it whatsoever. But, yeah. but what, what's interesting, I think, about Microsoft's approach and what's it, it, they're, they're kind of hedging their bets in some ways is that on the one hand, they definitely are, I think, pushing people towards, as you said, Bree, you know, having the halo effect of, you know, having the, the, the Windows notebook using you know, um, Office 365, having being part of this ecosystem, maybe, you know, having the Xbox, maybe considering the phone, although probably not. But because they've been, I think, realistic and kind of realized we're not going to win at mobile, they've done a really good job making their apps work really well on Android and iOS. Mm-hmm. Um, far better than, than you can kind of say, you know, of, of, of the competition. You know, Google doesn't even develop for, for the Windows phone. Obviously, Apple doesn't um, really build their stuff for others, but you can get, you know, in, in a lot of ways, right now anyway, it'll probably change, um, you know, by, by the time these new devices are out. The, the Office 365 experience, I would argue, on um, the iPad is better than it is on on the Surface. Um because Microsoft has put so much into it. You know, they, they've really put a tremendous amount of effort into that. Um, well, they have to. They have to. Right. Well, know? exactly. You know, right. one, one, one drive, uh, or, yeah, you know, um, uh, works really well across things. You know, OneNote is, is a good app. Outlook, they, they acquired a really good email app to bring a really good email client to iOS and Android. Mm-hmm. So they're doing what they can, I think, to kind of like to, to keep people in the ecosystem with the understanding that they're probably not going to be able to achieve what Apple or Google can do where you can go full blast one or the other. Like Apple, I think ultimately would really prefer you to stay in their sandbox and their sandbox only. Whereas Microsoft, I think sort of understands, we know you're probably not going to use our phone. I I would argue at least that they're playing a long game with phones where, and I say this totally as a person who will never give up my iPhone devil's advocate here. Sure. But if people, if they do, make a compelling enough experience with Xbox Windows 10 on Xbox and the the net, the laptop maybe long 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 term we could see the phone being a more compelling Windows platform and we don't know what's going to happen oh, no down the you're road. right it could 
it could. I think the problem with that, if I'm being totally honest, is that they are so far behind and things are moving so quickly that mm-hmm. I don't know if they can win. I, I, I almost wonder if it would have to wait like another phone generation, like almost like to, to, to be like another OS cycle, so to speak. I mean, like probably like maybe even another 10 years. Who even knows? You know, when, when, but basically the time when like you're looking at, you know, replacing the underpinnings for, for iOS or, or Android when they might finally have a shot with that because I think that – I think you're right. Look, I argued four years ago when they were doing, you know, Windows uh, 7.5, Windows Phone 7.5. I argued loud and clear. And I even said to Microsoft people, I said, you know, your one real advantage here is, is you've got Xbox. And you should take advantage of the fact that you've got this this gaming community and, and these developers building games for your platform and really market this as the Xbox phone. And if you make it that way and if you really kind of target it at gaming, you could get a lot of mind share. The problem is they didn't. They kind of made it the phone for everyone. And it never took off. And they were trying to go to emerging markets. It didn't take off. You know, they didn't want to give up on the strategy of beating iPhone. And unfortunately, the market share just isn't there. So no matter how great their other services are, I think unless you can get the apps there, that's, you know what I mean? It's a chicken and egg thing. It's like you can have the greatest platform in the world, but if the apps aren't there, then no one cares. And there are certain apps such – look, it's great that, that Facebook is going to build these, you know, conti- these universal apps. That's like square but, one. <laughs> exactly. But, but, but YouTube will never be there, okay? YouTube's not going to be there. The Google stuff's not going to be there. Um, let's talk about Snapchat. Let's, there, there are a ton of other apps that are mobile first now. What's increasingly happening is that even five years ago, you could have made the argument, okay – um, a lot of the most important apps that are coming to mobile are kind of ports of things that were on the web first or, or on the desktop first. Now what's happened is that the most important apps are native to mobile. And it's very difficult, I think, to get a native to mobile experience, taking like a Snapchat, for example, and convincing them to invest the resources in Windows Phone um, when they're just, I mean, what's in it for them? Why, why should they bother when literally... I, I, I agree with you largely, Christina, and I will strongly agree for the next year, two years, three years, Microsoft, you know, their, their mobile platform is not even going to get close to iPhone or Android. What I think you're underestimating is I could not have seen the power in the, the popularity of large phones. Sure. Right. Like I have an iPhone six plus and, you know, I have a Nexus uh, six now. They're both really, really big phones. And I think what we're going to be moving towards increasingly is you see all the big players kind of splitting the difference between their, their touch apps and their desktop. That's a good point. Yeah. So what I mean by that is like, you know, you see Apple slowly moving over and say, okay, we have iPad pro is really built from the ground up to kind of be uh, both experiences at once. And, you know, you're seeing this over here at Microsoft. So I agree with you for the short term, but I think the long term bet for Microsoft here is that I, I just think that since phones are getting so much bigger, and I think increasingly people are going to kind of expect their mobile devices to kind of also double as like a, you know, a a, a, a sit down, work at the desk kind of device. So, you know, I'm not going to, I would bet on Microsoft, but I'm also not going to bet against and them. I, I th- and I have to that's say a good this point. I think you're massively, massively, massively like the biggest weapon. And this is our next topic. 
Hollow. I was about to say. I was, about to, good I was actually about to say that was the one area that I totally was discounting. Right. And if they do have an opportunity at all, and we'll, we'll get into this, but I think you're right. As I was even speaking when you were talking about that, you know what? I, I missed kind of the fact that the next big shift that could happen, just like we didn't see phablets coming, could be HoloLens. And this is an area where if they get in on it early enough, they could own that ecosystem. And if that does become the basis for our phones, but that's kind of what I mean. That's kind of my argument saying it might take us to get to that next paradigm for them to have a shot. But I feel like with the current, oh, but I feel like with the, how yeah. the current mobile paradigm is, I feel like they're, they're done. Um, but I feel like the reason the they don't just over. quit is because they understand what, what you're saying, Brie, which is if we can get to the next place, um, if we can hold out until that evolution happens, we might be able to get in early and, and gain, you know, mind share. So, and, and, and mm-hmm. I'll, I'll shut up now and you guys can talk about HoloLens. <laughs> we love you, Christina. <laughs> that was very educational. Yeah, this is like, it's like, wow. Yeah. Now I'm pumped about the future. <laughs> so, okay, another big thing that came out of the event was Microsoft announced that dev kits for HoloLens will be available in Q1 of 2016. Yep. And they will cost $3,000 yes. uh, compared to three fifty for the Oculus Rift DK2. Uh, which you can get right now. Um, that is such an unfair comparison, though. I, and I will, yeah. I yeah, was going to say, yeah. how much is how, how much is an Xbox One yeah, um, dev kit? Brief? Oh, I'm sorry. How much? You know, I really don't know. Um, so when you develop for it, you end up primarily just using a Windows machine, and then you transfer mm. it over. What so about a PS4? The, the experiments we've done with uh, I've I've never worked with PS4. Okay. Like dev kits, but I can say our Connect uh, experiments here at the studio have been like linking up Connect uh, dev kits with some secrets. I'm actually not even sure I can talk about this. Uh, <laughs> linking dev but, uh, kits with yeah, secrets. Yeah, it's it's largely been with Microsoft hardware, just the same Macs. We I'm sorry, the same Windows machines we used to develop right. everything else. So. But the or the Hololens is a totally different beast from okay, so virtual reality. I have a lot to say about this. Yes. I have a lot to say about this, and let me just tell you: as soon as this event went off the uh, you know, happened last week. I've been calling up every single friend I've got at Microsoft. I'm like, look, can you put a good word for giant space guy here? Like, I've got three thousand dollars. I'll pay you whatever you want for this. Um, oh my god! But before we even talk about the the capacity that Hololens has, can we just talk about the massive? trust deficit that Microsoft has when it comes to these kind of overproduced onstage demos. Like, I just want to take us back to a magical year called 2010, when we all knew that Microsoft was coming out with some big motion controller. It was going to be epic, so they invited all the journalists in, and where did they bring them? To a tech event? No, they brought them to Cirque du Soleil, where they had like skits of this cheesy sitcom family doing all these wonderful things with Connect, and then like dancers, and it was it was epic. It was wonderful, and Connect didn't work. It didn't come <laughs> close to working. I, was, I would argue, unfortunately, yeah. I think I I love the Connect technology. I think the Connect is an awesome device, but it took too long to get to a place where. It was likable, and now yeah. it is dead in the water, and that makes me really sad because I, th- I think there is a lot of potential for motion games, and it should be something that people get really excited about and people want to develop for and people want to buy, but it's not, and that makes Rift me very sad. would have been awesome as a Connect game, and you know, we eventually got to the point where we're like, well, if they're not going to support it, you know, there yeah. we go. It's not worth our time. Yeah, exactly. But it's like, out the window That would have been a great game. Oh, I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> okay, so Hololens demo. 
Um, what you saw on stage is just not believable. No, no it's, <laughs> it's not. just flat out not. Like, Christina, you agree completely, with me, Completely, right? completely. Like, I mean, not, I had so many questions fantasy. for you, Brie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the reality is, is that the demo world that they create, like, that's potentially possible, but that's not the experience anybody's going to have if you actually use it. It's a cool experience, but it's not that. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. no. Um, I mean, especially, like... You know, if you see the Oculus event, like the, the there's that little bit of perceptible lag. Right. It's like leaping around laser beams as they're happening. It's all pixel perfect. And the part I can't get past, the part that is such a lie is like, so he's holding out his arm and like this, this gun yep. comes around it. But somehow it can like know where the edge of his arm is because it's totally composited and not photoshopped on there <laughs> lovingly, you know, like, uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, it would have been so much better if they had just shown something a little bit more. Oh no, I agree. There, I, I agree. I mean, I think the yeah. problem is, and it, it's a good and it's a bad problem. I think the problem is, is that, um, at this point, um, you know, they can almost show the demo they want. So they can kind of create this, you know, th- this fake thing. And so in like years past, if you were to do something like this, it would be obvious that it was fake because there's no way that we could do it in the future. So it would say, oh, well, this is clearly just our vision of what we want to do. But now it's like we're so close to actually having that vision that we're pissed off. We're like, no, but this isn't actually how it is. Show us how it really is because we're so close to being there. Yeah. And I feel like the HoloLens is such a cool device and that that mixed reality is something that no one else is really doing on this level right now. They could. I, I don't care that the view is smaller than what they've shown in demos. I don't give a crap. Show me what it looks like. Show me what you're actually producing and like the, the ways that people can use it because I think that that is really exciting. And obviously the robots were also very exciting. I was very excited at the, the possibility of yes. that someday, like 20 years from now. But then, like, when, when you're watching the guy do the demo where the robots are coming through the wall, like, it's very obvious. He's he's moving so intentionally and, like, very carefully. Not in a way where if you were actually, like, doing a live-action shooting robots thing, you would be really frenetic. Obviously, the HoloLens, like, I don't think the processing power would be enough to keep up with that. So he's, you know, very intentionally aiming, kind of like in, in the way where you're navigating a menu with the Kinect, for example, where it's kind of an arduous process of, oh, God, I realize suddenly how bad I am at holding my hand steady. So it, it seems, yeah, it, it was very, there was a, a suspension of disbelief that had to happen there, even though it did look very cool. So, um, I mean, I have a lot to say about this. Um, you know, when I sit there, I talk to other engineers working in the VR space. Um, we talk a lot about AR versus VR. And, I, you know, I've said on Rocket before, I'll say it again. I expect AR to win. I expect AR yeah. to dominate office stuff. I expect it to dominate... Um, I, I expect it not to dominate games, but I think mm-hmm. AR has some extremely, extremely, extremely interesting commercial applications. I think in the future, as we move from Facebook being in flatland, you know, basically looking at words that people type on screen, and we kind of move forward into really getting more of the emotional information and presence for our friends, it's going to be an AR. I hate to break it mm-hmm. to you. It's not going to be in VR. So, you know, I think this is one of the most important things that Microsoft is working on. So as far as, uh, you know, it's really, really important to educate the consumer that, you know, Simone, you're making that uh, comparison off the bat that, you know, Microsoft uh, HoloLens is $3,000 for the dev kit, mm-hmm. whereas Oculus is three fifty. Well, the thing is, like, Oculus doesn't throw in that super high-powered computer that needs to be able to do maximum 60 frames per second draw calls twice 
one for each eyeball. That's the little thing that doesn't throw in there. So, you know, um, and I have to say, I'm not convinced that uh, this is going to be the the solution. Like having all the computing power and the headgear. I mean, then you've got to pack all the yep. battery in there. You've got to pack all the motion sensors. You've got to pack all the computational power. I mean, it, it, we've all had our iPhone get hot yep. as we're holding it. So imagine <laughs> that being on your head, like, oh, I'm playing this game. Most no, things get pretty like... hot when I hold them. <laughs> yeah, well, we know. Yeah. We, we, we pretty read, Simone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whew, that was very, uh, no, sorry. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm super excited about it. Uh, I really, I, I think we all need to take a breath, though. Mm-hmm. We need, as developers, to get our hands on the HoloLens controller. And that is what you can, like, that is the really big question. Like, from an engineering perspective, drawing things and tracking them in real time, that's not super complicated. Um, what's really complicated are the interface paradigms. What's yeah. really com- complicated is how you touch and interact with that. And what I was really disappointed about, I probably shouldn't say this on the show, but everything we heard about like interface stuff was so high level at Oculus Connect that I don't think they've really solved it. Yeah. I mean, I don't think the way we interface with stuff is going to be like, like, like the mm-hmm. way it does it on 360 is like there's a laser beam coming from your forehead and then you point to items you want to do with this laser beam on your forehead that's not going to be how this works <laughs> no it's just not okay right sorry totally the opposite of what is natural to do as a human yeah but i'm glad yeah. that microsoft is, is, is I, i'm yeah. glad they're taking this stuff on at least you know i mean i what, yeah. I, yeah. I think that and i'm glad that that because it, and we've talked a lot about this you know i think that Oculus is obviously, you know, the most visible player in the space and and they're getting, you know, the most attention, the most, you know, kind of taking the oxygen out of the room. But I feel like Microsoft, especially with their background in, in, in research and, and in so many other areas, really has an opportunity here. Um, and I'm glad that they are um, – this is the first time they – other than at, at E3 – that they really kind of focused on the entertainment first aspects of HoloLens. At all the other events, they've really kind of sold it as kind of, you know, this this potential productivity tool and kind of this, you know, like, oh, but but you know, it can be for for serious for enterprise and 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 have business use cases thing. And and that 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 was not how it was sold at all. This was you know, they had the well, they had the Minecraft demo, but that was more kind of like, oh, you know, and, and it can do this too. But the the real thing seemed to be kind of the demos, other than E3, it was really you know, this mm-hmm. this is kind of this 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 uh, bigger thing, and I was just personally happy to see them really acknowledge and say, um, you know, yes, uh, you know, gaming and entertainment are are part of the the DNA for this device, and we do have the the, the mixed media stuff that will basically um, make this really stand out and be different than the other solutions that are out there. But I'd love to hear your thoughts, Simone. On gaming with the Hololens, yeah, or, or just the, in, in the demo, kind of what they showed off in general, yeah. I kind of already gave my opinion about how rehearsed the the demo was. That being said, like this is HoloLens and augmented reality are more so what I'm interested in than virtual reality being completely immersed in virtual reality just because of the way that I like to interact with people. And I think that they're... There is a lot of value in being able to stay connected to what you see around you. Um, I don't like to use the terms real world and virtual world, although I always fall into it just because I think that, you know, you're having a real experience in the virtual world and you are a real person. Therefore, it is part of the real world. But bringing, aug- augmenting our reality with digital 
artifacts. That sounded so academic and I hate myself <laughs> for it. But I, I, I do think that that is that is really something that's going to be important. And I see it as something that can definitely integrate into enterprise as well as in the home, just because there are so many, like when I talk, when I think about, you know, walking around holding my phone with a recipe on it as I'm making dinner or something, this is something where there there are so many different ways that I could be processing information and seeing things. So for me, the HoloLens is really exciting, but I am not sure where it's going from a gaming perspective. Like I loved the Minecraft demo. I thought that that used the technology really well because it it kind of presented both a new way to see a game that we are very, very familiar with, but also a way to play with people and connect with people who are who are playing that original game. Like they showed the demo with the, the woman playing on the surface and then um, the guy having the different perspective of Minecraft on the table where it rose up and you could kind of see a different perspective on the world. That was really cool. And I I, I feel like as we move forward with gaming on HoloLens, that might be more the direction where, where we'll see really interesting innovation, not necessarily, you know, first person combat like Project X-Ray was, but something where we're taking something that we're familiar with and looking at it from a different perspective. Can Can I say something here? Yeah. Like when the iPhone came out, touching stuff on a touchpad was not novel. They've been doing that since like Disney World in the freaking 80s. What made the iPhone work and what made it break through were all the very subtle things about interaction mm. that came along with it and made it feel unified. Like rubber banding, pinch to zoom, like that very basic stuff, the interface stuff. That's the so natural. It comes so naturally. Making it feel natural is why the iPhone won. It's why people adopted that technology because it wasn't a gadget or a gimmick, it actually made sense and made the experience natural and more intuitive. All these battles we're talking about, like, it is freaking great to sit here and pontificate about it from, like, you know, like a, a Wonder Dreams, like, <laughs> like, hey, guys, let's smoke pot and talk about like, all our wonderful ideas here. But it's like the pragmatic reality, which is why it doesn't matter until you get this into developers' hands and let us start really building stuff with it like uh, all the rest of it it just doesn't matter so i have to say like from an academic game dev perspective there is uh, when we talk about immersion in a game you know this is this is a word that has a really serious academic meaning it's how we create worlds that make you feel you're a part of it with like the architecture like a final fantasy game you know you're in a Final Fantasy game instantly by looking at the aesthetic or a Skylanders game. Like you know you're that aesthetic when my, you're there. You're playing my my song. I am, <laughs> I am. There is look. You can have games with robots shooting out of walls. Even though, let's be honest. Like I'm so sick of that crap. I'm sorry. I just I can't believe our industry is still doing that. I'm more interested in like you know uh, Idris Elba like having a conversation with him with the you know, Microsoft Hollywood <laughs> like a virtual representation like that. But there's going to be a limit of immersion that you can have with those games because you're not going to feel like you're part of a world. Yeah. And you know the reality of watching them put this together to see if like it's going to clip through geometry as you're going up and down. That's a hard problem to solve. Like it's trying to draw something on a table and you move your head up and down on the Z axis. It's kind of like calculate where all that stuff is in space in real time. 
at a, at a speed your eyes aren't going to notice the difference? <laughs> that seems not impossible to solve. And then it's like interacting with it. Yeah, they have a video of like drawing somebody's skeleton on screen. And you can like swipe and like look through some stuff in, in virtual space and that's cool. But like, how are we going to like operate a file explorer in AR? Like, how are we going to really navigate windows? So it how needs are we going to move the, through options? the compelling yeah. interface, which seems like a, you know, a boring, I don't want to say boring, but, it, you know, we're so, interfaces are so common in our lives that we don't notice them. It becomes, quote unquote, boring just because we they're want ubiquitous. Minority Report. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, they need to find that interface. They need to go back and not go back, but figure out how we're going to be interfacing with it to make it natural and seamless so that we can go on and do the revolutionary crazy rocket science robot fighting yeah. that Brianna Wu doesn't want. <laughs> well, because Brianna Wu is going to be piloting a real robot, a real giant robot. So That's right. That's like, right. Yeah, you are. Yeah, yeah. yeah Christian, I'd say Minority Report wouldn't work. <laughs> the the interface we get for Hololens will not be that. It's not going to work because you. Oh, I know it won't. I know. I, I, I know it won't yeah, because yeah. we won't have enough field of view. I'm just saying. Ultimately, I want Minority Report. I'm not. I, I know it won't work now. I'm just saying that's what I want. <laughs> I'll see you in 50 years, Christina. Well, dude, we... we're only dude, we're only like 25 away from Minority Report. <laughs> like, <laughs> I have no concept of time. That, that movie. That movie is like uh, is, is like 15 years old now. It's really sad. Do you guys oh want to hear about God. the coolest new like 13 years old update yeah. in technology? Well, Yes. yes. So it's called Casper. And this episode of Rocket is brought to you by <laughs> Casper. <laughs> so Such a good segue. You You're so good. Oh my God. You're the most skilled. I saw host. the opening and I took it. And now oh, you're, you're lampshading amazing. it. Come on. It's amazing. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> Just let it go. Just let it happen. So, Casper, <laughs> they are an online retailer of premium wonderful mattresses that you can get for a fraction of the price that you would find in a mattress store because you don't have to go to the store and deal with that middleman as you're on your way to your perfect sleep you just go to the website and you look at the all the awesome mattresses that they have and you realize that there are so many more choices than you ever knew were possible for you in your life uh they have awesome hybrid premium latex memory foam mattresses that you can get shipped right to your house and you can return them at no cost to you if you don't like the mattress which is frankly this is this is the technological innovation we've been waiting for all our lives so mattresses are often super freaking expensive casper mattresses cost between 500 for a twin size mattress 750 for a full 850 for a queen and 950 for the king size mattress that would take up literally my entire bedroom which is the only reason that I don't have one um so all the mattress choices that you want at prices that are very attractive, uh, that cost less than a HoloLens dev kit. Uh, <laughs> and if you don't like them, they, they deliver free and you can return them within a 100-day period. So that is a pretty compelling argument right there, if I say so myself. And obviously, as we've discussed at length, you get to watch the mattress expand in front of your very eyes and become like the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man that you've always wanted in your bedroom. You can get $50 towards any mattress purchase if you visit yeah. casper.com slash rocket and use that, sh that code rocket at checkout. Um, thank you so much, Casper, for supporting Rocket and supporting Relay FM. You are pretty sweet. I love Casper. Do we want to go through Twitter moments for dessert, or do we want to... Can we just do it, like, super quickly? Christina, congrats on Mashable. Devastating. Owning Twitter moments. Twitter yeah, moments. yeah no, we're, we're kicking butt at it. 
tearing it up, tearing it up. Yeah. Can we, can we, basically, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, you. Simone, you are the, you are the queen Uh, host, like, do your host thing. You are awesome. I wrote all these serious notes about Twitter moments, and now I'm like, well, we're like an hour into the show, we should be silly. But, okay, so Twitter moments, uh, Twitter introduced Twitter moments, which is a curated tab that you can access through Twitter, and it's, it's curated content rather than the stream of consciousness that you would see in a hashtag. And it basically takes relevant, important tweets from a specific event, like, um, give me an example, the Microsoft event. Yep. And it curates those. So you can follow that event and those tweets will appear in your timeline for the duration of the event and then they will go away. So it's kind of interesting to me because it takes something that is so inherent to Twitter, which is that there, Twitter is very free range. So, you know, even if I if I follow you, I have no control over what is going to appear from you in my timeline. Right. Like the only tools really for that are being verified or blocking and muting, et cetera, et cetera. So this kind of takes a whole different approach to Twitter. And but it does it in a way that's kind of it, they're focusing really on t- tweets that you things that you could only find on Twitter, things yes. that are native to Twitter, videos, tweets, et cetera, from people like verified people from um Verified sources from I wrote something else down here. News organizations uh, just, can put them together, like like for instance, you know, Mashable yes. can or, or BuzzFeed or, or you know, like other places yeah. partners can be part of it where they can actually create mm. a story. So for instance, like we've got one right now. I'm looking at it about you know that that you know Putin celebrated Putin you know celebrating his 63rd birthday. So it was something mm-hmm. that we put together a bunch of tweets and vines and other things from various sources around so you could kind of get a sense of the story. So if it's not a live event, if it's just kind of a news moment, you kind of want to know what the highlight was, you can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's kind of an ongoing event like, you know, Empire, which is airing right now as, as we're recording this podcast, um, that would be something that w- someone could, you know, follow along and see tweets and highlights from the show that are being curated in real time. No, it it's like you have the pool that is Twitter or the swamp rather yes. that is Twitter and it's like the curator taking a, a pool net and dredging up the gems yes. that you want to find underneath the mucky surface. It's like Go a on. legion of doom in the Louisiana swamp rose up <laughs> from there. No, no, I what I loved about this is okay, so before I say this, I just want to be really clear. I don't care about baseball. I root for the team that causes me the less drama in my house. If you're a Red Sox fan or a Giants fan, don't write me. Don't write me. I root for who my husband asked me to root for. But we went to a bar last <laughs> night to like watch the uh, the Yankees get their butt kicked <laughs> in the postseason game. And what I loved about it, like they they kind of um you know, positioned Twitter moments as like this thing for casuals, but I really love it because I I go there and I'm like, okay, I want to see what people are talking about yes. with this event, why it's happening. So I click follow. And this doesn't mean like it's permanently on my list. It just means like that's going through my timeline while this is on. And I got to like experience the joy of watching A-Rod fail with a ton (laughs) of people. It was just beautiful and awesome. No, no, totally. I mean, I think what's great about it is they're kind of, you know, taking Storify, which has been one of the more successful kind of, you know, platforms built on on Twitter and kind of building that into it. Plus uh, kind of Snapchat stories. It's kind of a combination of the two. Um, and and I, I like the ephemerality, the fact that, you know, you follow something just for a period of time um, or you kind of get like a quick recap of the news story. Um, it's not going to take over your life. Um, I mean, it's obviously something that's very um, – I, I mean, I guess, you know, if I were thinking about Twitter from a long-term 
company perspective, this is obviously something that's very resource intensive because this isn't something that's, Mm -hmm. you know, you can, you can rely on an algorithm to do. This is something that people are either news organizations have to do it or Twitter staffers have to actually, you know, be responsible for finding and and sorting the good stuff. But it does kind of solve one of those big problems that you kind of mentioned, Brie, which is when a breaking event is happening, you want to use Twitter. And if you know Twitter, you know how to use it and kind of navigate and see what's happening. Um, But if you don't know Twitter, if you, you know, don't use your account very often, Assessing out what is a legitimate source, what's good information, what's bad, and also getting away from, frankly, all the the, the spam that that follows, you know, popular hashtags and popular oh, other God. things, um, can be really difficult. So, like, I think about sporting events. You know, the, the World Cup was obviously a huge time for for Twitter last year. You know, if you think about having this sort of experience in real time, that's updated in real time and isn't delayed. You know, that literally, as soon as those tweets are coming in, they're being curated and added to the stream. Um, I think that that's um, and also for breaking news situations. I think that it has the potential to really make the platform a lot stickier than it would otherwise. And then what's cool, too, is that, for instance, talking about, you know, Empire, you know, it's going to start airing on on the West Coast and in, in, um, in like, you know, um, two hours. And so when that happens, you know, they can kind of either replay or re-aggregate things that were already shared. People can kind of go through it or they can kind of resurface them, you know, in again. So it's one of those things that if you think about it can kind of take away kind of the you know, uh, you can play with the ephemerality of some of this stuff a little bit more just because it's not being presented in a purely chronological sense. Mm-hmm. Okay, but so I have one last thing to say on this before we end the show, Christina. I have a really big beef with you about What's that? this. Because you were taking pictures and you were out there on Twitter and you were talking at McDonald's all day yes. breakfast. Amazing. And I, was, <laughs> I was going, oh, yes, I'm going to get the most snarky awesome article from Christina Warren talking about this and I kept going to like Twitter moments and then there's no Christina <laughs> Warren article there wasn't there wasn't there wasn't, there wasn't. I, what, I agree. What, what, that was what? just me. That was just me excited about all day breakfast. <laughs> that was me just periscoping for funsies. These tweets not endorsed by Mashable.com. Uh, no, they they endorsed them for sure. They endorsed them for sure. It's just uh, BuzzFeed, I think, kind of owned that story. Um, and and it, for they me, did. it would have literally just been, I think, like embedding my periscope of me eating um, my um, sausage, <laughs> egg, and cheese McMuffin um, that I did actually eat on Periscope, and twelve hundred people watched me. <laughs> Um, because this is the role. Because this is the role we live in, you guys. Twelve hundred people watch me eat at Nick McMuffin. Um, because because internet. What did you say? What did I want to see this Periscope? You guys send this to me. Yeah, I mean, I I will. I mean, I literally just talked about the fact that I had to wait a long ass time for my my egg McMuffin. But at two o'clock in the afternoon, I got my egg McMuffin and my hash browns, and then I showed it off and ate it on camera, and that was basically it, Brie. You went to McDonald's. Your life is magic. Oh, I did at two o'clock oh, in the afternoon. I love their egg McMuffin. I do too. Like two, I great, mean, look, it was. Great, I mean, yeah. when in Rome, my only disappointment yeah. with all day breakfast, the McGriddle is not on the all day breakfast menu. What? So it's just the egg McMuffin. What? Oh. It's just the egg McMuffin, oh. the sausage burritos, and the the flapjacks. Um, but oh, and, and oatmeal, whatever. Um, well, in the south, then. in the south, <gasps> you can get biscuits. They have biscuits rather than the egg McMuffins, but in but the McGriddle, which is the greatest sandwich of all, okay. is is not on the all day breakfast menu, and and that to me is um is really sad. And so I'm hoping, you know, obviously this is a new test, and 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 I genuinely felt bad for the McDonald's employees who were having to make my breakfast while also dealing with the long trush. Um, uh, sure as these <laughs> logistics are figured out, they they will increase. But at this point in time, not I mean, 
look, the McMuffin at 2 p.m. was fabulous, but let's be real. If I had a McGriddle, I, I would have like, that would have been a story. That would have been a, a, I would have mashabled the hell out of that. I would have, I would have made that a Twitter moment because it would have been worthwhile. <laughs> So is what you're doing this week uh, patronizing McDonald's, looking for McGriddles? Yes, yes. That will actually patronizing them. And I know they're terrible, but the food is so good. We finally got Chick-fil-A in New York City, you guys. <laughs> I love Chick-fil-A. I love and Chick-fil-A. They, their policies I don't agree with. I agree, but I love so, their food. Yeah, and frankly, yeah, if yeah. I boycotted every company whose policy who had policies I disagreed with, I wouldn't be able to like have anything. So I might as well have like really good chicken sandwich. So. I feel that way about tech journalism sometimes because yeah. like people will make terrible comments and I'll be like, oh God, I don't want to read their work anymore. But then right. I would like not be able to visit any site. Ever. <laughs> That's ex- I, oh, you're not <laughs> wrong at all. You're like, oh, if I boycotted everybody who's like, know this. too much. <laughs> totally. Oh, uh, Christina, what are you really up to this week? Well, I've got a lot of stuff kind of happening that I can't talk about until next week. Ah. So I know because it's, it's, it's getting into that silly season of stuff. And uh, That's silly season. It's getting you're full of secrets. It, yeah, I'm full of secrets um, on a couple of things. So, but but stay tuned for next week because I'll have a right. fun stuff to talk about. <gasps> Yay! Cool. And Brianna, are you also full of secrets? Uh, this week, I can actually tell you what I'm working on. Uh, I will say this: if you work at Microsoft in the Hololens department, I will be your best friend forever. If you will help me get one of those <laughs> test devices, help me, Obi Wan Kenobi. Uh, no, so we are making a full court press here at uh, GSX to kind of learn Android development. Um, so we finally got our next games coming out. We kind of got the first steps to getting that running on Android today, which I'm very excited about. Um, can I just be straight with you guys? It is like, it's been a comedy of errors of how many things can go horribly wrong at the giant space office oh, no. today. Oh. So like my co-founder, her husband is like in the hospital for like oh, um, uh, uh, viral meningitis. No. <laughs> like thinking worrying he was going to die from that. Like he's he's home now, but you know, like that happened. And then like uh, one of my people, her kid got mega, 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 mega bullied today because no. they like some uh, TV shows that are considered more girly and have some Aww. products from that TV show. And they were just being beyond mean about it. And then today, my husband, I was on my way back from the gym and my, my brakes exploded on my car with like fluid oh, no. going everywhere. So I'm stranded in the middle of nowhere. So yeah, I need some good luck before I leave. Seriously. I get some uh, work done. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, everything that's happen or that could happen has already happened so knock on wood yeah first of that's all. right that's right i'm really excited about uh grace hopper uh next yeah. week i found out the venue they're putting me in has four thousand people 4100 people Woo! so it's gonna be the, the biggest that's crowd so cool. i think i've ever addressed yeah oh, that's so awesome yeah. i'm so excited for you that's amazing <laughs> I have to like work on it though. So. <laughs> but yeah, you'll actually have to write it. Not no, you'll probably still write it the day before. Don't judge me. That's how you work. That's best. how I roll. You know? Yes. Yeah. Yes. What about you, Simone? What about you, Simone? I've got Geek Girl Con coming up this weekend, which Yay! is my favorite little Seattle convention. Um, it's really small. Really, it like it just feels good to be there. Like everyone is so chill, and they're all so enthusiastic to be there. So I'm speaking on Saturday, Yay. doing the problematic media panel again with my DFLAB peeps, Digital Future Lab peeps. Um, and their game is actually coming out really soon. It's uh, Ghostlight Manor. It's coming out for iOS. And uh, yeah, we're, I'm also tabling for Pixelkin. 
Um, so I'll be talking to people about what I do, which is my favorite thing to do on a weekend. So you should come and ask me about it. <laughs> I have to tell you, I've seen uh, more than one friend of mine linking your work from uh, Remesh lately. So Heck yeah. Hell yeah. Damn right. I am super proud of that. We had a, a talk with Sarah. Um, so, okay, let me back up. We launched a, not not a sister site, but another website uh, specifically aimed at women in gaming, focusing on women writing stories, but then profiling women developers, highlighting women Twitch streamers, women YouTubers, and really just kind of presenting news and feature pieces about gaming, but kind of with a focus on these people um, and highlighting the role of women in gaming. And I am really proud of it. Uh, Sarah Warren, who is the founder of AfterEllen.com, actually is is part of it with us. And uh, it's been really awesome to have her on the team and kind of get her expertise and her view on what we're doing. And apparently the launch went very well. So I am very happy about that. And you can find my writing on Remeshed.com as well as Pixelkin.org now. I do have some feedback for you about your title because there, like, it has your cute little blurb oh, what underneath is- you, <laughs> underneath it, and like, you know, this is your your chance to like really have a punchline. Like, uh, you know, uh, my friend Alexa, she has like she changes it constantly. It's always some hilarious <laughs> punchline, but yours is like saying. Yeah, blah, 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 Simone. She used to play video games with her brother, and then he got too cool for her. And (laughs) I'm like, what are you doing putting yourself down in this place and defining yourself in relation to a man? You're so right. And I'm like, no, don't do that. So rewrite that. Just make it Simone de Rochefort, blah, blah, blah. I make it weird sometimes. And that's what it should be. And then that'll be an accurate assessment of what actually I do. Absolutely. No, you're right. Yep. You do make it weird sometimes. Yes, that is my brand. <laughs> Your brand? My brand! <laughs> 1-800-CONTACTS. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm never letting that commercial die, you guys. I refuse. That is the meme that I will go to my grave quoting. Anyway. What's going on? What's going I don't on? know, I'm so Am laughing. I, what? Cena, right, I, I think we should um, go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so where can we, after you go, where can we find you online? Uh, you can find me at Space Cat Gal on Twitter. That's a cool place to be. Can we see you in the moments? Yes. Or do you live in the moment, <laughs> Not, I hope I don't make that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right, I, I will pray for you. Yeah. Uh, Christina, what about you? I, I'm film underscore girl, um, and I'm about to change my, um, you know, uh, Twitter name to, you know, Bieber's Peen. Um, that, 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 that's good. No, I'm kidding. Is that your spooky Halloween? That's going to be my spooky Please Halloween handle. Live the dream. Live the yeah. dream. Uh, I'm okay. You can find me on Twitter <laughs> at Doomquasar. See, I made it weird today. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking about how everyone's changing their Twitter names to name fields to spooky things. And I, the only thing I can think of is Simone <laughs> Rochefort. But that doesn't translate well in text. You need like an audio file of me moaning for lack of a better phrasing um and on that note if you have suggestions for spooky name fields for me on twitter you should go to itunes and leave a review with the spooky name you should while you're there oh my god rate your us. opinion yes. of the show as well and uh, a star rating of however many stars uh, you think your the spookiness six. Six of your stars. name is six stars six whole six, six, six stars. spooky stars yeah. that's amazing um, and yeah, thank you everyone for listening. We'll see you next week. Terminated. Terminated. 
terminated. <laughs>